Okay, everyone, welcome to Free Pass Pesach, a Thursday night class. <coughs> we are going to learn a special discourse. This is in the Siddur of the Alter Rebbe. Uh, we usually learn the book, uh, uh, the, the, the book on the Parsha, which is Torah. We did all the Pesach Memorim that are in Lakuti Torah. And now we are left with a few Memorim that are still in the Siddur that we didn't learn. The Siddur are discourses that the Alter Rebbe Alter Rebbe said, and it was recorded by his son, the Mittler Rebbe, and he entered it as part of a Siddur, which is a prayer book, with the commentary of his father on these long, deep Hasidic discourses. They're the Mittler Rebbe style, and therefore they're more expansive, and generally the, the discourses in the Siddur sometimes are more challenging to learn. In the past years, we've learned quite a few. Um, on the one hand, there is, there's more lengthy, it's longer, so that usually gives you more to, 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 to bite into. On the other hand, it's sometimes more Kabbalistic and, and, uh, a little bit more difficult. So we'll see how it goes. We're not going to be able to learn the whole discourse today, even though we have only this Thursday before Pesach. Next Thursday night is already deep in the middle of the holiday. But I hope that maybe Sunday night, we can pick up or maybe some morning or something. I really would like to finish this. I do not have, I didn't even finish the whole discourse even once, at least not now. Maybe I learned it another time in my life, but I don't remember. Um, it's a fundamental discourse. It's, it's mentioned in many Hasidic discourses, this discourse. So it's a, it's a very, uh, it's, it's like a, it's, it's a go-to mimer. It's a classic. Uh, for a very, some of you, for, for some fundamental ideas, and uh, that's it. So in the Siddur, part of the Siddur is the Haggadah Pesach, which is the special uh, recitation that we say at our Pesach table. We speak about the whole story of the going out of Egypt. When the after the son asks the four questions, the response is with these words. We start off with the words Avadim Hayinu. We were servants to Paro and Mitzrayim. This is the Nusach of the Haggadah. And it's based on a, an, on a verse, on a Pasuk, in, in uh, Deuteronomy, in Veschanon. We can actually look that up now. How much of it is actually in the verse? So in Parshas Veschanon, Vav Chafalif, let's see. When your son will ask you, that's what it says. When your son will ask you, this is the wise boy's questions. What is the testimonials? What are the statutes? And what are the laws? God has commanded you. You should answer. You should say to your son, that we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, to Pharaoh in Mitzrayim. And God took us out with a mighty arm. So that's what we actually say over here in our Agadah. When the child asks the question, we answer. And we say, Literally, the same words. The only thing is, here it only says in the Pasuk, it only says, this is, a, this is a slight differences. 
Over there it says in the verse it says, God took us out of Egypt with a mighty arm. That's all it says. Um, in with a mighty hand. Here it says in our liturgy of the of the God of the first few words are the same. We were slaves to Paro in Egypt. And God took us out. Instead of Egypt, in, in the verse it says twice Egypt. Here it doesn't say Egypt the second time. It says, God took us out from there. With a mighty hand. And then it adds one more word. And with an outstretched arm. Okay? That's the opening. This is really where the 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 fulfillment of the commandment that you should relate the miracles of the Exodus. We're supposed to do it every day, but primarily the night of Passover. Pesach is when we do this. So this is the opening verse. So here we're going to learn now in this discourse the altar. And again, I'm praying that Hashem should open up my head to understand and to be able to give this to you know break open. The reason why I didn't I didn't quit when I was learning it and I was getting hard was because I already know from the past that many times in the midst of the learning it like suddenly opens up so clearly and then it's like I, I say to myself, Wow, imagine had I not taught this, what kind of gems we would have lost. So I hope the same thing is gonna happen over here. In any case, so but let me give you a little bit of a just a a, a outline of where this discourse is going. The discourse discusses the dynamics of exile and redemption based on the entire system of the cosmos. In other words, in the, in the material physical world, there is a situation where, where we talk about exile, talking about the exile of the Jewish people. So the, the, the godly nation, the Jewish people are a godly nation selected by Hashem as a chosen people. So in exile, the chosen people are subjugated to other nations, whichever nation it was. And many nations took their turn in, in trying to enslave or enslaving uh, the Jewish people or persecuting them or, or, or other exiling from their land or trapping them in their countries or chasing them out of their countries or whatever it was or taxing them with crazy taxes, uh, special for the for Jews and the, and the like. And all kinds of other uh, uh, physical, spiritual, and other types of persecutions. Um, that's on the physical plane. And then, and redemption is when God performs the miracle, and we exit all of this, and things become beautiful, things become nice. The Jews are given again their freedom. We can go uh, whatever. When going out of Egypt, it meant we can go to the Holy Land and establish a, a holy kingdom, a Hashem. That's the physical story in this world. But what this discourse is going to discuss the spiritual dynamics on the, in the divine realm. What is the system that allows for enslavement and exile to happen? And what is the system of the cosmos when redemption happens? In other words, the question is, how is God? It's taking it all the way up, not just to the higher spiritual forces, it's taking it all the way, all the way up to God himself. How is God relating to the universe during the time of exile? And how is God relating to the universe and to the world and to its inhabitants 
during the time of redemption. What's the what's the what's the what calls for exile and what calls for redemption? And the answer that he's going to explain is as follows: When God is being matter-of-factly engaged with the world, then there is exile. When God is being intimately engaged and involved with the world, then there is redemption. Now you can all go home and go to sleep. That's the discourse. When Hashem is being casual and not that caring about what's going on, withdrawn, removed, and he's keeping the world going with a very, very, very external engagement, a very external involvement, then the forces of externalism are very powerful and strong, which are the klipa, which are the shells. And in that situation, Israel, the Jewish people, don't do well. They become very weak and subjugated. Because in a sense, God is asleep on his inner realm. He's asleep. And he's only operating on the most external, uninvolved state. However, when God gets super engaged because he's really involved and interested and excited, deeply excited and deeply and interacting with the world in a way that he's fully invested in it from his inner, inner depth of his being, that's redemption. And then his energy flows to Israel and to the Jewish people. Holiness is then dominating of, over the unholy. And it's not like the unholy doesn't exist, at least yesterday we spoke that once Mashiach comes, the unholy is going to be gone forever. But in the past redemptions, it didn't mean the elimination of the unholy. It just meant that the unholy becomes very secondary and subservient to holiness. So the whole question over here is going to be, is the internal dominating over the external or is the external dominating over the internal? And that obviously is going to have its repercussions and its, its effect on also on each and every one of us because every single person is, a, is an entire universe. What's the story with each and every one of us? Is our outer shell, our external shell of ego and self-interests, the dominating force in our life? And then our souls become, you know, trapped and, and, and um, silenced and in bondage to our physical desires and wants, which means the external rules over the internal, or is that we have redemption. When the inner soul, the inner truth, and the inner core of the human being is able to express itself and to assert itself, and then the external human, the body and even the ego, and the animalistic side of the human being are not eliminated but they're all drafted and they're all included and put to use for the service of the higher human, the truer human. And that's, that's, that's what it is. That's where we have to transform next week, Thursday. We have to transform to liberate our deepest selves to gain full mastery and, and strength over, the, over, over our outer shell our external life because it's it doesn't it's not it's not it doesn't even feel good it feels very not good it feels depressing when when that when 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 we have it upside down 
one hour. It might, you know, feel superficially good because you have very, very superficial um, um, temporal enjoyments, which temporarily feel good, but on a, on a deep level, it's causing a deep disintegration and a wreckage on the inner human and the inner satisfaction and inner happiness of the human being. So true happiness will only be when the spirit masters the body, when the inner dominates over the external. But God forbid exile is a time when on the on all levels the external is in is in is is the is powerful and subjugating the internal. And why is that? That has to do with the fact that God's connection to the world is from a very external place doing it. It's in, the, in terms of the Kabbalistic terminology, God is, has his back turned towards the creation. He's supporting the creation with his back, not with his front. And in the time of redemption, God turns to face the creation. Turning to face the creation means he's giving it his face. His continence, his radiant continence, his love, his affection, his passion, his desire. That's the whole story. Let's read inside. And that's why we're going to learn Paro, which was the king of the first exile. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. In Hebrew, if you rearrange the letters of the name Paro, you get the word Ha'oref, which means the neck. Whose neck is it referring to? It's referring to God's neck. Paro is plugging in. In order for Pharaoh down here in this physical universe to call the shots and control the Jewish people, it's because the spiritual, spiritual, high, high, way above Pharaoh down here. But the spiritual origins of Pharaoh above are plugged into the backside of God, which is, the and over there, he receives his power. Now, when God is connecting to the world merely from his backside, which means from his neck, from the back of his head, which represents that there's no deep interest and love to the creation. It's just, it's a commitment that he's going to keep, but without any inner enjoyment and pleasure. And then the paros of the world are very powerful. The external is very strong. And the world and people's lives are not about a relationship with God. It's just about about the external, about the time and space stuff, about the physical, about the here and the now, about the, the temporal aspects of time and space and the pleasures that the world uh, has, to, has to offer. Uh, but mindless existence, purposeless existence, all related to the backside. But when God turns to face the world, means he is very, very interested in it. He wants a relationship. He wants to bond He's seeking to be close to each and every one of us. That has to do with us fulfilling his will and for us being committed to his will and what he's interested in. And then we invite him in to manifest and to reveal himself in the world. And that's his inner desire. And that's when you have a holy temple in Jerusalem and you have the, the sacrifices that we spoke about on Monday night and the whole engagement and involvement the love, the romance, the connection, it's all there. It's all there. It's because God is turning away from, he's turning his neck away, but he's turning his face to the world. 
That's that's the that's the summary of the first half of the discourse. So let's read it inside. Switch the glazer. Okay. We were servants to Paro in Egypt, and God took us out from there with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. Obviously, this is all metaphorical. The verse is speaking metaphorical. God doesn't have an arm, and God doesn't have a neck, and God doesn't have a face. But he does have all these things. He doesn't have them in the physical uh, 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 um, connotation that we're used to. But he has all these features on, in, in an abstract, abstract, abstract but, uh, level. But in, 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 uh, and though these, the reason we have these features physically, that's just a mirror and a reflection of what these things truly mean. So there is a Hashem's hands. So first he's going to deliver to us a Kabbalistic formula from the writings of the Holy Ari, in which he discusses what Pesach is, and what the miracle and what happened. And then he's going to unpack what that means. You know, the Kabbalistic terminology is a heavenly terminology. It's a code. It's a code that is meaningless to most people. For that, you need to have the great Hasidic masters who've opened it up and, and has given to explain what these mystical or cryptic statements mean. So let's see what the cryptic, first we're going to have the cryptic statement. It is explained in the writings of the Ari. There's two books of the Ari. One is called Priyetz Chaim, which is the Arizal on the daily and, and, uh, and holidays. It's like the Arachayim of Shulchan Arach. In other words, in Kabbalah, the Arizal writes the permutations and the meditations that apply to every day, waking up in the morning, getting dressed, saying your morning blessings, and he takes you through the Kabbalistic um, realms, the Kabbalistic meditations for every single part of your, and prayer, primarily through prayer, and then the morning, and then for, for, for the blessings we make over food, and throughout the entire day. And then when he finishes the, the day, the regular day, and the deeper Kabbalistic meaning of it, it, he then goes into the holidays, Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh, and then the three holidays, explaining what you should have in mind when you're saying Kiddush, and what you should have in mind uh, this part. Or what's the what's the underlying Kabbalistic, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, meditations, as we said, and based on the spiritual aspects that are taking place, the forces that are in play to create that holiday and so forth. So that's what Priyetz Chaim is. So, but again, if you open up a Priyetz Chaim, unless you're a seasoned Kabbalist, it's meaningless. It's just a bunch of, what we might call gibberish, a bunch of words. Uh, so we need to unpack that. There's another book called Mishnah's Chasidim, which is also a collection of this, one of the students of the Holy Ari. In any case, so these are two reliable sources that recorded the, the teachings of the Ari. The Ari himself didn't write. He just taught, and his students wrote it down. In any case, so over there they write as follows: the root of what is the go, the root, the, meaning the spiritual, divine, what's going on in the inside of going out of Egypt. And they explain as follows: they say like this: Yesterday in the class that I gave Exodus number three, we discussed that exile is called a pregnancy. Something is being born. 
And who is the who is the one that are being born? So the ones that are in, in exile, they are the fetus. So in the first exile, it's very clear. The Jewish people were being born as a nation. Even though we existed before that as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, matriarchs, but that's like, that's before we were a nation. Those are the parents. Those are the ancestors. Then we're becoming a nation. But, but just like when you become a person, where do you become a person? Inside a little prison, which means inside the mother. And in a sense, in being in the mother is a little bit of a crumpled state. On the one hand, it's a very, very, very wonderful, cozy experience for the for the for the fetus, and it, it's it's a nice experience. But on the other hand, it is considered an imprisonment. So spiritually, the Jewish people are constricted in a constriction, whether it's physically or our souls constricted. This constriction is not is not um um as I mentioned yesterday, it's not punishment. It's because we're being born. And it's only in that environment can the birth take place. So um, the Arizal says, the, uh, the Holy Ari teaches, that when we say the Jewish people down here are in exile, that's a reflection that our spiritual divine source is also in exile. Israel is in exile, but who is Israel? There is Israel as it manifests down here in this world, and that is Israel, the Jewish people. But then there is our souls in heaven. And then there is the souls of our souls, which means really our origins of origins. So there is a collection of divine attributes that's called Israel. So God himself is called Israel. But that aspect of Hashem called the divine emotions. Kindness, severity, Compassion, um, 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 uh, victory or perseverance, glory, and foundation. So these six emotions are called Israel. When we were in, we were when 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 Israel down here was enslaved in the womb of Egypt. It was because the divine attributes above were also not in a revealed state. They were being born. They were in a fetal state. What do we mean they were being born? To say it in wild terms, God was being born. God was being born. The divine manifestation of God, the way he will be manifesting with the world post the giving of the Torah, was not yet in ready to be revealed. It was in, in a gestation period. It was being developed. So what does that mean? Did God not exist before? Of course God existed before. But he's choosing to manifest in a particular manner. And that image and that force and that, and that state of Hashem appearing in the face, in the state of a human and in a relationship with us. We know that, for example, there are 613 commandments which are divided into 248 positive commandments. That's, that emerged when God gave the Torah. But these 248 commandments are not just commandments, they're the limbs of God. It means they are Him. But they are Him as He's manifesting to us. 
when the Torah was given. So before the Torah was given, which means really we before we went before Sinai, which which meant before before the the Exodus, before the redemption. So this persona of God, the divine emotions, as they are the as they are the foundation of these two hundred and forty eight limbs, because it's these six emotions or seven emotions, the six masculine emotions, seventh emotion and of feminine emotion together make up the main skeleton of the rest of the limbs. So just like the Torah emerged to the world only after the giving of the Torah, so to the divine Im- the, the, the divine limbs, so to speak, were then born. Born means it's revealed, but just like a child doesn't start a child doesn't start when they're born. The child needs to be developed first in a hidden state, in a constriction during the time of pregnancy. So too, the whole exile was really just a pregnancy. A pregnancy, we could not, the Jewish people could not be a people and be ready to withstand all the challenges and difficulties and to be able to be a light onto the nations and sublimate and elevate the entire world to the ultimate redemption had we not first been developed as a people through the crushing circumstances in Egypt. Why it has to be painful is a different discussion. And we might get to that in the discourse. But that's the place where we were developed. As we down here were developed that way, so too was our spiritual source above, also in a constriction. It was in Egypt. It wasn't in Egypt down here. It was in the Egypt in heaven. It was in the Egypt of the spiritual realm. So now, as he says, Shepchina Ze'er Anpin, Ze'er Anpin. Ze'er Anpin means the small face of God, which is called, as we mentioned, the six divine attributes. Ibor was in a state of a fetal state. But well, where did the pregnancy happen? Like every pregnancy, in the mother. Be'ema in the mother. Now, let's stop for one more, one more important idea. Emotions in general are called children. Kabbalistically, the emotions are called the children. Why? Because every emotion, even our, our, we understand it within ourselves. All of our emotions are born out of our intelligence. When we have intelligence, when we have certain knowledge and recognition of certain phenomenon, that can lead us to get excited about that phenomenon. What's an emotion? An excitement. Either we love something or we fear something, or we're compassionate for somebody or something. But it first has to, it can't, doesn't, the excitement just doesn't come out of nowhere. The excitement is developed. Where is it developed? By first having a mental appreciation of whatever it is. You have to first have the facts. You have to have the, 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 the cold, the cold facts, just the, the, the knowledge. And then you can warm up to it, warming up to something, meaning the emotions start bubbling. So the emotions are always a secondary. Emotions come from somewhere. So the intelligence is called father and mother, two parts of the intellect, the 
the Chachma, which is the flash of the idea, the kernel of the idea, and the Bino, which is the full fleshing out of that idea, the full development of it. These are two forces of the mind, the right and the left side of the brain, the creative mind and the, and the, and the analytical mind. These two parts of the, of the soul are the parents, and the emotions are the children. And just like we, our emotions, God's emotions also work that way. So there is the divine emotions. Here's the thing. From when God gave us the Torah, God is fully active, engaged, involved emotionally with the world. Before the Torah was given, that element of emotion was not there. We didn't have where to manifest. We didn't have the mitzvahs here. But those emotions were now being developed. That God's emotional range was being developed. Where is it being developed? Like a fetus, in the mother. So let's look at our own emotions. When our emotions are being born, where are they being born? Before we warm up to something, we're just becoming aware of it in our mind. And when it's in our mind, all it is, as we said earlier, is dry information, dry facts. Now, subtly, subtly, it's not like one minute there's just a dry fact and a minute later, boom, there is a powerful force of an emotion. It usually has to sit in your head for a while. You know, An intelligent person, I mean, besides certain emotions that are very instinctive, but generally, a developed, mature human being will develop certain sophisticated emotions, which means emotions to, to things that are a little bit more an acquired, an acquired type of emotion, acquired taste. You get certain appreciation for art, music, or certain things. So you have to develop, you have to develop your sense of taste, your sense of music, your sense of beauty, your sense of, of whatever it is that you're excited about. Sciences, sciences that you love, that, you, that, that interest you, and whatever it is. So the emotions first begin to appear in the mind, but in the mind they're very, very subtle. And that's the idea of a fetus. The, it's the, the emotion is not yet, your heart is not racing yet out of love. You're not feeling a burning you know, energy flowing through your limbs with an excitement to go ahead and buy that book or buy that new iPhone or new uh, you know, gadget or whatever it is. Because you haven't read up about it enough. It hasn't sat with you. But after you've read up on it and dwelled upon it and thought about it, and then and you hear that, and then it's you know, you finally get like feel and excitement. You want to you want to connect to that person. You want to meet that author, you want to meet that scientist, you want to meet that artist, you want to hear them, or you want to see them, or you want to oh, so these emotions develop. First they're in the head. And they're very, very, very silent. They're very quiet. And then they come out into the heart. When they come into the heart, that means the baby was born. The emotion is fully born. It's a full-fledged expressed emotion. When the emotions are still in the head, means they are in a pregnant state. And the emotions are not free to express itself because they're hardly, they're very benign. They're very soft. They're very, very, we're very unconscious of them. That's the pregnant state. So in God itself, the divine emotions, which will later manifest themselves as God's likes and dislikes, which he expresses himself to us in the Torah, 
before the giving of the before if in Egypt, these ideas and these emotions were in the development state inside God's mind. So now let's give it mystical terminology. The Zeir Anpin, the six emotions, were in their mother, which is the Bina. The Bina, which is the mother, which means divine understanding, was incorporating the divine emotions. It was a state of pregnancy. Be'ema in the mother. And that state, being within the mother, the supernal divine mother, in that state, Yam. that state is called Mitzrayim. And he takes the word Mitzrayim, the Ari, the holy Arizal, takes the word Mitzrayim and divides it in two. He says, Meitzar, Meitzar means constriction, Yam of the sea. Yam means a sea. So be constricted in the sea. Well, it makes sense. A little baby is inside the ocean. It's like the whatever whatever that liquid is called that the that the baby is submerged in. So it's the same thing over here. The supernal cosmic baby, the cosmic uh, emotions, the divine emotions are still lost within the mother. But now there's another meaning in the word yam. The word yam has a yud and a mem. What does that mean? Kiyam, because the word yam, which means see, not only does it in general referring to the mom, the womb of the mother, but more than that, it's the yud of chachma. Yam is a yud and a mem, a closed mem. So the mem represents the womb, the closed womb that's not giving birth. A mem is a closed letter. It's the only letter. Mem and asamach are the only two letters that are completely locked. So the mem is, is represents the mother's womb. Related to bina, because the sages say, ben arboim lebina, when you're 40 years old, you can develop, you reach maturity of your bina. So bina is very strongly associated with the number 40, which is the mem. But, What's inside that mem it's a, is the fetus, which is the yud, which the yud is from Chachma. What does that mean? How's a baby born? Who delivered the baby to the womb? Comes from the father. The father is the Chachma. It's like, let's talk, how do you create an emotion? First is a flash. First it started as an idea. The mother is only sitting with the idea, the bina sitting with it and allowing it to, to develop and thinking about it for days, for weeks, for months, for years. People that are really deep people and they think about things a lot, don't get excited about something sometimes till the idea has been sitting with them or at least that they should share that excitement. You have people that are the deepest thinkers. Imagine they can be walking around silently with an idea for 10, 15 years. And then finally they decide that they, they're going to act upon it. They're going to they're gonna share this. They're going to write a book. They're going to bring this, this, this idea to, uh, the, you know, they're going to bring it to the world. You know? But where is it coming from? One day, out of nowhere, boom! Their creative mind spit out an idea. like a, 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 And then they weren't kind of, you know, then it sat. It sat. It sits in the 
in the in the it sits in the womb of the mother. It sits in the bina and the analytical side of the mind for a very long time. Usually, in the birth of a child, it's nine months. The actual intimacy and the trans the 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 the, the, the um, transporting of the of the seed, which is the which is the which is the the the, the essence of the idea, uh, takes a minute. The 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 gestation pregnant the pregnancy is four is, is nine months. So in our case, what are we talking about? There is a divine seed. There is God's idea. He wants a relationship with the world. He wants a system through which he will express and a system that will actualize and 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 based on his wisdom and then turning into his emotions with the wills and the and and the and the the, the things he likes and dislikes that he will reveal in the Torah. That will come down as God's emotions through which he will establish a relationship with us. But all of this was not yet expressed. Basically, Mitzrayim was a state where there was something brewing but was locked and couldn't express itself from God's from God's end. And the reason it couldn't express itself because it wasn't ready to be expressed yet. It needed this gest- gestation. And that's what, that's what it's called. The pregnancy is called gestation. It's that period of time for it to fully develop. What's going on during that development? What's going on is that the yud, which is the seed, the main power of the child is the father's seed, is now being stopped, not stopped in a bad way. It's being held up in the womb by the mother. She's holding it in order for it to develop. And when it's finally fully developed, she will release it and the child will be born. So now we're getting an idea of this cosmic, isn't this phenomenal? This cosmic understanding of the pregnancy, what's taking place. There is a divine pregnancy. There's a godly pregnancy that's taking place. A, a flash of God's chachma, which is the yud, is inside the cosmic mem, this powerful bina, which is holding the yud and not, and it's locked. If it would be an open mem, mem means the womb is open. That's why redemption is when the mem opens up. A closed mem is referring, right? It's the it's the closed mem, which is considered the exile, the opening of the mem. Sometimes it's explained in Hasid as the opposite, that the open mem is, is exile and the closed mem is ge'ulo. This, and, but sometimes it says the mem that's closed has to open and the open. That's a discussion. We once look it up online. There's a class called the, 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 open, the, the, the open and closed mem. Fascinating class that we once had, one of my favorites about one man has to open and close. But in the context of what we're talking now, the exile is when the Yud is stuck in the Mem, and that's called Yam, that's called the ocean. And for the one that's inside that constriction, inside that trapment, inside that closed, locked locked womb, it's a constriction. That's why it's called Meitzar. Meitzar means constriction. And I'm Meitzar, from my constraints, I call out to God. Now, when this manifests down here in our physical world, the Jewish people find themselves in Mitzrayim, a country that's name is reflecting this amazing spiritual secret, divine secret, Meitzar. Um... Let's read it again. It's the Nekud of the Yud of the Chachma. When it is concealed in the womb of the Bina, 
which is called the closed mem. Okay. Now the question is, okay, Bina is holding on, not allowing the yam, and that's why it's interesting. Now we'll also understand why when we went out of Egypt, what happened? The sea split open. The sea splitting open means the, the womb opened up and the birth happened. So when we were really born, we were really born by the splitting of the sea. Now it makes perfectly sense. The sea, which is the yam, had to split open. And what happened? The Jewish people emerged from the sea. They went in and they emerged from the other side, which is like a baby being born. And you know what else happened at the splitting of the sea? The Torah emerged. And God emerged as, an, as a new being with powerful emotions to share with us. And that turns into the six Shishay Sidri Mishnah that he gave us by the giving of the Torah. That's the baby. That's the six emotions that are emerging. Okay. Who is not allowing this? So, but hold on. So if it's ready, it's like, it seems like, but it's not just the fact that Bina is holding it as long as it needs to. There is also a force that's not allowing. There is count, that is countering the birth. There is a force that's blocking the birth, the birth that's happening. Who? The simple story, who didn't let the Jews go out of Egypt? They wanted to leave already. That enough being in the womb. And there, was, there, was already, uh, there was already overdue. It was past the due date. <laughs> so they wanted to leave already, but they couldn't because Pharaoh wouldn't let him out. So now he explains who Paro is. Ki Paro, Paro, as we said earlier, is the same letters as the word Ha'orev. So what does that mean? Paro is receiving, Paro is an evil, wicked man. But if a weaven, an evil, wicked man has power, has strength, and has power, and has dominion, if an evil, wicked man has power and strength and dominion, he's getting it from someone. Where is he receiving it? He's receiving it He's receiving it from the backside of what's called the long face. The means, let's just explain that just short. Above the above the this baby that's being born, above the divine manifestation of six emotions, there is, as we spoke earlier, the divine intelligence, which is the source, that's where the pregnancy is taking place, that's the sea. And above that is Keter. What's Keser? Keser is the crown. Kesser is infinitely above the other sefirot, the other attributes, because Kesser is the orient self, the infinite light of God. God as he is what we might say pre-attributes. In the human physiological structure of a human body, there is the brain, the intellect, which is inside the brain, but then there is the skull. So even though the skull, to us, seems to be much lower and less important than the brain. We can imagine that a skullless individual can live as long as you protect his brain. I mean, the skull is mainly there kind of to hold everything in place. But spiritually, the reason why the skull is above the brain is because it's really connecting or, or representing the, the infinite light of God, the encompassing energy, the surrounding light that's not yet defined. That's called Kesar. But just like in the skull, there is the front of the skull, 
What's the front of the skull? See, when we say the skull, we really mean the entire bone-like feature of the entire head. Going all the way from the back, from the neck, all the way over, all the way up to the front. This entire structure, because it's all one unit, one bone. Like a helmet. In that, you have sockets where the eyes go in, and you have the other situation, but you have that whole situation. Okay? So in, the, in this whole dynamic of skull, there is the face, and when you have, when you, when you look and you see what, you see all the, everything that the person is all about. From the eyes, you can look deep into a person's being. You really can look into an eyes. You can look in a person's soul by looking at their eyes. Their nose, their mouth, the two cheeks give off so much of the radiance of the inner human being. So that's the front of the skull, if we might say. And then there is the back of the skull, which is the neck. Paro, now, now just like remember, this is all our bodies are created in the image of God. So the, the, the cosmic keter, the, the, the skull of Hashem as well, there is the front of it and there's the back. Paro was receiving all of his energy from the back of God's skull. And that's called Ha'oref, the neck. And, and Paro is the letters Ha'oref. Paro is not God's back neck. But from the level of the neck of Hashem, the back of the skull, that's where he's receiving his power. We'll soon see what that means. But that's what the Arizal is saying. And as long as the skull is, and it's blocking and it's not allowing the birth to happen. Now, if we're talking about birthing, now we can, let's try to make sense of that. If we're talking about birthing in which the intelligence is creating emotions, excitement, and the emotions need to be born. But in order for them to reveal themselves, they have to leave the brain. And they have to go down into the heart, because here is where you get excited. Excitement happens. I mean, you're cognizant of the excitement in your brain, but the actual excitement happens in the brain. The, the heart gets warm, and the blood pumps faster. All right, so it's happening. The emotions, when they're going to be born, are going to be born into the heart. So they have to drop from the brain to the heart. Between the, the brain and the heart, there's a narrow space. That's, that's the neck. The neck flows right down from the back like this. The front almost like doesn't even go there. The front goes lower and then you're like down to the chin and out. But the neck flows right, flows for black from the back of the skull, right? The neck. And the neck is narrow. So now we can understand if there's something blocking the head, the, 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 the information of the mind to materializing into an emotion, it's because there's, it has to push through the neck. It's like the birth canal that's narrow. And now that's where that's holding and not allowing the baby to come out. But that's what the, the Ari is, is continuing. Because he's deriving the energy from the neck of the Erech Anpin. He is holding back from the birth to happen. And this is what it says, we were servants, we were slaves. Who's we? We are the baby. And therefore, the children of Israel, we're called the children of Israel. Then there is Israel himself. 
We're the children of Israel down here in this world. There's Israel himself. Israel himself was being born then. The, 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 the spiritual dynamics of Israel, which are the divine emotions, were then being born, but they were being stuck. Which is the Ze'eramp in the six emotions of God. We were subjugated leparo to the neck. The neck of the Erech Anpin did not let us be born. And wh where did it keep us? It, ke it kept the emotion swimming in the brain, but not being to able to come out. To be in this constriction of the sea and not being able to come out. Let's, let me try to give it a little bit of a... Again, this is all meant to be a cryptic piece. So I, I, I've been doing a lot of explanation over here. If you read this just plain, it's simple, it's very cryptic. But at Bar Hashem, we've taught, I've been teaching Hasidus for so many years that so we're able to like open this up a little bit. Open up the constriction a little. And then, so we'll make it easier later when we're learning. I'm already giving you the uh, interpretation to a certain degree. But now, um, so, but, but let's try to make that a little bit. So, so you're saying, do you feel bad for the baby in the womb? No one feels bad for the baby in the womb. It's like a perfect place to be. So, like, why would we like even care about this? Like, in any way negative? Why are we screaming? You know, end the exile already. Ad Masai. Let's have Mashiach. Let's have the redemption. Let the baby be born. Now, first of all, if a baby is there, you know, you know, you meet this woman, she's pregnant, and then you come back six years later, and she's still pregnant, and you kind of say, oh, "Come on, <laughs> nice to me, but come on." Especially if it's talking about hundreds of years. So how long is this pregnancy? So, but there's, there, there's, but we can understand it within ourselves a little bit. How much does our soul have? How much? Like excitements, do we have that never went anywhere? They remain stuck in our mind. Especially for people who study. Especially for people who join our Thursday night class. Especially for people who actually delve into the spiritual world. You learn so much and so much, and you know that. Based on how much I learned, I should be such a powerful spiritual being. I should be like dynamite. I should be so powerful. My prayers should be so intense. My, my, my entire, my Shabbos, Yom Tiv, everything, I should be a ball of fire. I should be like sweeping up the entire world with my energy. And yet, because the emotions are all stuck. They're all stuck in the head because we're in exile. So we can't give birth to these emotions. It's this pharaoh that's sitting there and it's just blocking it. So with all the learning we do and with all this information, we can barely squeak out a little, a little, a little fervor in our prayer, a little tiny bit once in a while. What happened with all that you know? All that was so much to be excited about. That's this painful experience of exile. That's why pain, that's why exile is so miserable. 
when it comes to our physical thing, it doesn't take much. We, we, we hear this is a gourmet dish. We get all excited about it. It doesn't take long. We make it. We do it. We eat it. We go to the restaurant. We have it. A new restaurant in town. It doesn't take much from, for ideas to like go into our emotional realm. It happens chick-chuck like that. And we act upon it and we're energized by it and everything. But when it comes to these spiritual things, and they're so much greater than that silly, you know, physical delight, and yet they don't go anywhere. That's exile. That's what we're talking about. Talking about a, a constriction in the head. And with all the study and with all the learning, it's almost like all these potential excitements kind of like get aborted in the mind. Now, the good part is that nothing is aborted. It's not an abortion. They're all there. They're all living. They're just way overdue in their pregnancy. It's like a billion babies in the head. Imagine that. <laughs> and imagine that when Mashiach comes, the moment the lights turn out and the constriction is removed and those babies start being born one after another, bang, 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 and suddenly you have like a million emotions in your heart, like a billion, and you're thinking like, is this ever going to stop? And it's like hits you nonstop. These, all these ideas you've been learning about over here. And, and, and you thought like, oh, it was a nice idea. And suddenly the, 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 the quiet, silent, benign emotion that has been sitting there in your head but not given explain you forgot about it already, but it's been stored somewhere. The first time I ever saw it this way, it's really, really, it was worth giving the whole class just for this thought. Oh, man, that's why it says when Mashiach comes, we're going to cry and cry. We're going to be bawling because we won't know what to do with such an intense heart. Our heart, I don't even know how our heart will handle it. How will the physical heart be able to bear such intense love for God, love for for Torah, for, for each other, for like, it'll be so powerful. It'll be unrestricted because it will finally be, and it says God will remove the stuffing of the heart, but also remove this, this paro that's on the neck that is create like this, this chokehold and constriction. He like puts a brace on the head, not allowing any of these emotions to come forth. How do we get out of it? How do we get out of it? How do we, how do we allow? How do we release all that? So if it's no no. So the way the, the redemption came about was no no. took us out. It's a, it refers to two, two names of God, Hashem, the tetragrammaton, and Elokeinu. So he's explaining both these names are referring again to the level of God referred to by the skull. Erech Anpin, the long face, again, which refers to the infinite, the, the level of the infinite, higher than the attributes, the Erech Anpin. It, from there came the power for this, for the redemption, which means for the birth. The Eino Hashem means God helped us be born. How? Chinas Erech Anpin, and he used Biyat Chazako with a strong hand that went outstretched arm. These are referring to the two arms of the Keter of the, of the crown. The two arms of Keter, of the Erech those two arms overpowered Pharaoh, the neck, and allowed for 
the, the, the birth of the spiritual birthing to take place. Through the two arms of the See over there at Great Land. So the Alter Rebbe just gave you a very abridged version of what it says in the Ari. Based on this, he says, and now let's understand what all of this means. So now we begin the discourse. This was a little Kabbalah. Now we go. Now we're going into the meat. To understand all of this, let's first preface. First, let's understand the concept of God's name. One of the things that happened by the going out of Egypt is. What was what was revealed was Yudke Vavke. Before the going out of Egypt, we were, God was known as Elohim. When we went out of Egypt, God now reveals himself as Yudke Vavke with the tetragrammaton. Aniasha. Now, based on what we just learned, we already understand this. Because the, the, the Yudke Vavke is God now emerging yud hey are the intellect the yud is the intellect and the hey is the and the vav hey are the six emotions and, and the latter hey is the malchut so this yud ke vav ke was was blocked it wasn't even here yet. it's a new baby meaning a new entity a new it's god but god now appearing in a certain way to to be able to communicate his very self in a very deep way in a way that we can receive him we we, we can internalize it in us and that's the whole idea of Yud Kevavke. Through that, God is coming down. So the whole idea of, the, of going out of Egypt was Aniyavaya. It should be revealed Yud Kevavke. And Yud Kevavke is the Torah. The Torah is Yud Kevavke. Every mitzvah is plugged into somewhere. Some mitzvahs are related to the Yud of God's name. Other mitzvahs are related to the Vav of God's name. Other to the upper hay, to the lower hay. So the Torah is a Yud Kevavke. But the Yud Kevavke needed to be born. And that's why Hashem says to Moshe, right? When Moshe cries, why have you done bad to your people? God said, I had to be born. Ani havaya, I am Yudke Vavke. Till now this Yudke Vavke was not revealed. The Tetragrammaton was not revealed. But now it will be revealed. This is the baby that's being born. I'm, I'm breaking through the constrictions to be born now so that I can be in a relationship with you. You'll be born too. There'll be a birth happening on both ends. So I, I, I last week, Shabbos, this class was not given for a recording because Shabbos we can't record. So this past Shabbos, I I uh, I shared the teaching from Rabbi Yitzchak Ginsburg, which I thought was phenomenal, um, where he he talks about the, 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 the if you add up all the numbers that are by the seder that are significant. So I'm going to, I'm not going to do it. He basically explains that in the Seder, you have number three that's significant, the three matzahs, and it repeats itself more than, 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 than just the three matzahs, Pesach matzah moror. Uh, there's a couple of threes that are significant at the Seder. Number four, the four sons, the four cups, etc. many other things. Number five, we add a fifth, um, we add a fifth cup, the, the cup of Eliyahu, we, uh, in the times of the temple, they had a fifth question. 
Um, there's a fifth son at the Seder that the Lubavitcher Rebbe revealed that there's a son who doesn't even come to the Seder, not just four, there's a fifth. So number five is a significant number. So let's start. Three, four, five. Ten is a significant number because there's ten plagues. Uh, Fifteen is a significant number because there's 15 um, instructions for the Seder, Kadesh Urchatz. We follow 15 plus Dayenu is 15. And then 40 is a, uh, 50 is a significant number. Because it's in the end, uh, it mentions the 50, 50, 50 plagues that were at the, at the sea. And it's also, it's a 50 day count starting from Pesach to Shuas. So if you add three, four, three, four, five, 10, 15, and 50, you'll get 87. It's the numeric value of Ani Havaya. I am Yudke Vav. So what we're doing at the Seder is a birth is taking place. Yudke Vavke is taking place. So now, so he says, in order to understand all of this, that, so we have to be in Shem Havaya. Let's understand the Shem Havaya. The Dalit Oisius Yudke. I'm saying, why is he suddenly talking about the, the, the idea of, of, of Havaya? Because that's what's being born. We just mentioned that there was a constriction and something being blocked, and now a fetus needs to be born. What that that's yud kevavke. So let's understand the four. So v'kutzay shel yud. But in the when we notice in the yud kevavke, there is really four, but as mentioned, there's also a fifth. What's the fifth? On top of the yud of the first of the yud of Yashem's name, there is a little, a little a pointer, and that pointer is a whole, a whole new level, and a whole new level means above the name of God. Which is indicating Keser the crown. Kidu as it is known. So Yud is Chachma, the He is Bina, the four is the six emotions, and the latter He is Malchus. And the pointer on top of the Yud is the crown. The Yudu as it is known, the Yud is Chachma. The Yud is Chachma. And the pointer or the, or the, or the, or the, 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 the little pointy uh, thing that's on top of the Yud. What does keser mean? What does crown mean? It's the supernal will, God's will, that is still above and beyond understanding and reason. Okay? Reason and understanding is already a constriction. Because anything that is, could be understood is already limited. So reason and understanding is already constriction. The pure, infinite, boundless light of God is related, is called Keter. And particularly, it's referring to Hashem, the, even Keser, Keser is not the essence of God. Keser is already an emanation of God. But what is it? What is the emanation? It's not the emanation of Hashem's intelligence. It's the emanation of His will. He wants. What does He want? He wants a relationship. He wants to create. He wants. But it's not a want with a reason. Reason starts later. It's not reason. It's pure will. Okay? And that's Kamashakosov, like it says, this idea that beyond Chachma, beyond wisdom, is a range of will that's beyond reason. It says, there's a verse that says that Chachma stems from nothingness. I and this nothingness represents this, what we call it nothing is because since it's beyond reason and grasp, 
infinite, it's called nothingness. And that's why it doesn't even have a letter that represents it. It just has a pointer. A pointer, all the other spheros have a letter that kind of character. The letter that is used is because the letter, the shape of the letter, the letter contains within it the content of what the attribute is. Like, for example, Chachma is a point. It's a flash. So that's what a Yud is, a decimal point. point. The He is an, the analytics of something. So it's the full development of something. So that's why it's got two lines. It's got the space. You're pulling it. and you. So, they, so the, the letter that is indicating of it is capturing, is explaining, so to speak, the, the 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 nature of that energy, the nature of that of that of that of that force, but the keter doesn't have a letter. The reason is because you can't describe it. It's infinite, and infinite infinite simple energy is not descriptive. All you can do is just point that it exists. That's what that's what the point is. It there's something above. Why I don't know, unknowable keter. But it's the level of will. And that's called the long face of God. When we spoke earlier that there's this thing called, this, this that level called Erech Anpin, the long face. So this level, Erech Anpin, is Kesar, it's will. Now, the main primary occupation that he's going to occupy himself with in the next long discussion, which we're going to do quickly because we've already gone through it, he's going to explain how the will, just like we say Keser, which is the, the above, above the Yud Kevavke, above the four letters of God's name, which means above all the attributes. It's the encompassing infinite will, which is Keser, which would be discussed earlier. Keser is the skull. There is a front and there is a back. So what does that mean? In the infinite light, there is a front and there is a back. What does that mean? Ah, so he's explaining. Because in will, there's two levels of will. When a person wants something, there is a want when you want something like, and you're completely, fully, your entire being is invested in that want. And then there is a want, which is more like matter-of-fact want. So let, let, let's try to get a little bit of something of it. We're not... You see, we're talking over here in a very primordial beginning, beginning stage of a connection. Because the, the sophisticated, complicated, developed element of the relationship is going to start when you have all the nuances of intellect and emotions. It's like a person who you are already deeply steeped in, in your life. You're completely intertwined with that individual, with your emotion. And it's very complex. All kinds of emotions that are layered and covered and intertwined. And there's the, the, you understand each other. There is the intellect and there is the emotion. And emotion is complex in so many aspects as you relate to this individual, this person. So the relationship is very, very, very developed. But we're talking about a level where you're in a new place. You moved into a new city. You're not, you don't have any emotional bond with anybody. You're just stepping out onto the street to see what's going on. So your will, what is your will? Your will is taking you out of yourself. When you're just in your own house, in your own thing, then you're just in your essence. Fine. 
Now you want, you want, you want, you want, you 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 want to connect. So you now you have will, plain will, simple will, no emotion yet, just will. But now let's take a look at two levels of will. One level of will is you're going to the community park, you're going to an event because you want to meet people. You want to make a friend. You walk in, whether it's this party, it's this social gathering, and because you want to make a friend, your will is very, very strong and very deep. doesn't mean that you're going to find the friend you're looking for, but you want to sit down with a cup of coffee with somebody. You want to have a beer with somebody and talk to them. And when you're talking to them, it's not matter-of-factly. You're really, you're really giving your will there. You want to talk. You want to connect. You want to find a companion. But how about if you're you're invited to be a guest at a at a certain thing, a dinner, and you have to go. For whatever reason, you owe this person a favor and you have to show up. You don't want to go. Everything in you doesn't want. You so don't want to meet people now. You're not interested in anybody. You don't want you're going to be sat by a table. And they're complete strangers and you're sitting by the table. So what are you going to do? You're going to be rude? But you're so not interested. You're just, your mind, you're not in a headspace where you're looking for new friends and to meet new people. So you're casual. Hi. And you make small talk. Yeah. Okay. Right here. Next. So there is will there. Because if there wouldn't be will, then you wouldn't be opening up. You wouldn't be, you'd stick your phone in your face and you'd be rude and just be you know, checking your emails and your other things, watching, uh, I don't know what. And because you're uh, not interested in talking to anybody, leave me alone. But if, you, if you're being just polite and nice, so there is will. You can, the reason I'm talking about so much this, giving this example is I'm trying to find an example where it's not yet emotion. There's no emotion here. And there's no intellect. You don't know anything about anybody yet. You just, you do have, there's will there. It's just plain, simple energy of your soul to step out of self and to connect. But there's different levels. There's when you're connecting and you're seeking a relationship and you want, and then in the conversation, you're really paying attention and you really veer from a very deep place, from a strong inner place. And then there is a place where you're just, you're just doing it because you have to because you have no choice, and so on and so forth. So your, your will is also there, but it's external. That's called your neck. It's almost like if we were to look into the inner soul, when you're sitting down in the first case and you're talking to people, you're showing them your face. And when you are um, in this latter scenario where you're just saying hi because you have to, we're just going to make light talk because you have no choice. You're really sitting and talking to the person from your back. Because you're not really interested. You hope they're not going to start telling you their whole life story and their whole thing because you really don't want to talk right now. But, you know, you're just nice, so you're going to sit there. Kind of. So now let's take a look, and he's going to give a lot of examples to the idea, but the internal and the external. They're called face and, 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 and neck. 
The Indian who had the idea is as follows. That in will, there's two levels. There is the inner and the outer. When we say two, two is general. But really within the two, there is so many, so many different gradations of levels. When you have your inner, inner will, that's not called will. That's called, it's called ratzon, will in Hebrew. But it's also called chefetz. What does chefetz mean? Deep inner desire. And when you have just regular will, but no deep inner will, it's called ratzon. That's the difference between ratzon in Hebrew is differentiating between ratzon and chefetz. Chefetz is when your desire is from a very deep core place. You have a deep inner longing, from the inside of your soul. Kemoi gives an example. We find in Bereshis the story of Le- uh, um, Dina and Yaakov, when sadly, it's a sad story, when Dina was abducted and raped by, this, uh, by, the, by the Shechem guy, by Shechem, the mayor, the, the son of the mayor over there. So it says over there, Ki He desired the daughter of Yaakov. Now, over there, it was a very intense desire. Um, even though it's, it's a very lowly type of a thing, it was simply a lust, but it was still a, a, a chafet, a very intense. Here's a, 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 a nicer example, a more pleasant example. Hashem says to the Jewish people, you will be my land of desire. Kitiem atem, atem, eretz chafet's my land of desire. That means a desire, what I really desire. Which isn't the case when there is the external desire. It's not coming from the inner part of your soul. It's very external. It's almost, it's very, it's like a skin deep. It's shell, it's only a shell. It's not, it's not, you're, you're not giving it anything deeper than your most external superficial attention. Which is called the backside. And external alone. And now he gives a few examples. He gives actually three examples. And when there's a desire, when a person is going to work and you're going to engage in some kind of a business deal, in which one can make profit. We all know that going out to work, no one wants to work. Everybody appreciates a day a day off. You like people, you enjoy having the time. You can relax. You can do. Going to work is always there's always a certain discomfort on Mondays. Monday morning, you got to go back to work. Now, even though when you you might like your work and you might kind of this, but still, it's like the fact that I have to go in and I have to go into the office and people say I have to go into the office. Like it's like there's a certain why. Because the la- 